So I'm really looking forward to this afternoon. This afternoon, my wife and I sit down and we have kind of a formal conversation about the year ahead. We kind of recalibrate on from last year and we talk about 2011 and we talk about what 2012 holds for us. In fact, we've kind of done some homework. We've each gone our own separate way and done a little work on what we could improve for 2012. And we've we've thought through, like, what would we change and how could we make it better? And, and I'll tell you that after 28 years of marriage, my wife and I, we still have some relationship issues. We still have some communication issues that we can improve on. And, and I have some recommendations to bring to the table this afternoon. Kind of excited about that. A little nervous, actually. So I thought I'd try them out on you first. And kind of to kind of soften the, the blow or the edge, I, I told my wife that there's some, there's some principles, I think, that maybe if you understood a little bit better, you'd understand me, but I'm saying, so you'd understand men better. Okay, so let me, let me pass them by you, and you can, you can tell me what you think. Here's how I'm going to start. I, I listed ten. I said, number ten is this, men are not mind readers. Ask us for what you want. Let me be clear on this one. Subtle hints don't work. Strong hints don't work. Obvious hints don't work. Just say it. I think I'll tone it down when I talk to her this afternoon. Yeah. Hold your applause, men, until I'm done, okay? Number nine is this. Uh, Christopher Columbus did not need directions, and neither do we, right? And I resent the GPS she bought me for Christmas, I'll tell you. Number eight. If something we said can be interpreted two ways, and one of the ways makes you sad or angry, we meant the other one. (laughs) Number seven, Sunday afternoon sports. It's like the full moon or the changing tides. Let it be. (laughs) Number six, anything we said six months ago is inadmissible in an argument. In fact, all comments become null and void after seven days. Number five, crying is blackmail. No fair. Number four, if if we ask what is wrong and you say nothing, we will act like nothing's wrong. Number three, you can either ask us to do something or tell us how you want it done. Not both. If you already know best how to do it, I think I'm going to leave that one right there. I'm not sure how to finish that one yet. Number two, all men see in only 16 colors, kind of like Windows default settings. Peach, for example, is a fruit, not a color. Pumpkin is also a fruit. Plum, a fruit. We have no idea what mauve is. And then number one, and once and for all, please stop telling me I need to get in shape. I am in shape. Round is a shape. (laughs) Not done with these yet, but by this afternoon, I'm sure I'll have them honed. Yeah. Thank you. You can pray for me for this afternoon. Okay. The truth is, I'm a consumer reports guy. I listen to consumer reports. When I'm considering a purchase, whether it be coffee 
or computers or cars, I consult Consumer Reports magazine to see their recommendations. I listen to and follow their advice. In fact, I follow their advice over what other recommendations might be out there. I follow their advice over the advice of my friends. I even follow their advice when it runs counter to my own experience or my own intuition. See, that's the real test. When Consumer Reports recommends a product or a brand that I'm not familiar with or I'm dissatisfied with, yet they recommend it, I will defer to their recommendation. I will defer to them as the authority in my life when it comes to purchasing consumer products. In fact, when it comes to buying consumer products, I have, a, I have adopted this principle. I, de I defer to an authority greater than myself. That is, whatever Consumer Reports recommends, that's the brand or the product I will buy. I listen to Consumer Reports. How about you? Who do you listen to? And I'm not talking about consumer products. Forget that. I'm talking about important issues. Who do you choose to listen to? Concerning issues of faith and relationships and priorities and values. Who's your authority? Who do you listen to? Because everything you do, every decision you make, every aspect of your future is actually determined by who you listen to. You've got to figure, think this through. Do you rely on your own intuition, your own thinking, your own experience? Or do you have an authority that you defer to for these important issues? Do you defer to an authority that's greater than your own thinking, your own experience? That's the question for this morning. I want you to turn to our passage for this morning. It's Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, it's on page 774 in the Bibles provided for you here at BlackRock. And I want you to get a Bible out on your lap. It's going to be you and your Bible. We're going to camp out in this passage for the balance of our morning. And I want you to read it along with me. No PowerPoint slides, just you and your Bible. And as you're finding your place to Acts chapter 5, I want to set the context for you. I'm going to, let me describe the action up to the point where we're going to jump in. The early church, it is growing. The Holy Spirit is moving in miraculous power both in and through the people of the church. Miracles and healings are regularly taking place. So much so that the religious leaders of the day, they're unnerved and threatened by all the attention, by all the praise that's focused on what God was doing through these bold Christ followers. So threatened were these religious leaders, in fact, that they throw Peter and John in prison, not sure what to do with them, not knowing how to stop this movement of Christ followers. They take the two leaders, Peter and John, and they throw them in prison somehow to stop all the attention and all the momentum that's going forward with, the, with this movement. But, but the religious leaders really don't know what to do with them once they've imprisoned them. In fact, if if you flip back one page to Acts chapter 4, keep your finger in Acts 5, Acts 4 verse 16, we can actually read the, the dialogue between these religious leaders. Once they've got these guys in prison, they then talk with each other and they say this, Acts 4 16, what are we going to do with these men, the religious leaders asked. 
Everybody living in Jerusalem knows that they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing, this movement, from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called Peter and John from their prison cell, called them in again, and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Jump down to verse 21 and it says, And after further threats, the religious leaders let them go imprisoned, threatened, and then commanded not to speak at all about Jesus. That's the plan these religious leaders have to quell this growing movement of excited Christ followers, of those who worship the resurrected Jesus. I'm here to tell you that this plan, it cannot stop what God has in store and wants to do through those that follow Him. We'll pick up the action in Acts 5. Acts 5, we'll we'll begin reading in verse 12. It says, The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats, so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by to to heal them. Crowds gathered also from all the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. See, this plan, this plan to, to stop this growing movement of Christ followers from spreading any further, it's not working so well. We read here that more and more are believing in the Lord and the church is adding to its number every day. The sick are being laid out in the street so that Peter's shadow would pass over and heal them. In fact, crowds are not only gathering now from Jerusalem, but all the surrounding towns. Crowds are gathering and they're bringing their sick, they're bringing their demonized to be healed. And they're all getting healed. They're set free from their sickness and released from their torment. There is a buzz. There is momentum for this growing movement. Instead of this movement being contained or shrinking, it's actually expanding. It's, 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 it's exploding, really. And the religious leaders are not too happy about it. We pick up the action in verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees, that is the religious leaders, They were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and they put them in public jail. Does that sound familiar? I mean, didn't we just read that that was their previous plan to jail the leaders to somehow stop this movement? It's not working. But they jailed them again. This is the second time that the apostles are imprisoned because of the excitement and attention they're getting. Verse 19. But during the night an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, the angel said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. Time out one second. Have any of you ever seen a movie with a jailbreak scene? You ever seen a movie that has a scene where they break out of jail in the middle of the night? You know, 
as I remember it, when you break out of jail, you do not head for the public square. Right? I mean, you lay low and you remain hidden. You stay concealed, out of public view. Why? Because you're going to soon head for the hills and make your very quiet, discreet getaway. I mean, everybody knows that. The disciples knew that. You know that. Every movie portrays that. Apparently, everyone knows that except this angel. I mean, when I think about it, the, the last thing you want to do is to attract attention to yourself after a jailbreak. I mean, the last place you'd want to go is to the temple courts. That is the, the public square. But that's, that's just me. Verse 21. It says, At daybreak, the apostles entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. So as soon as it gets light, so that everybody can see in full view, the apostles enter the most trafficked area of the city and they begin to teach. They begin to tell the people the full message of this new life, just as the angel had commanded them to. The truth is, I think that this verse, verse 21, contains the key phrase to this entire passage. In case you missed it, let me read it again for you. At daybreak, the apostles entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. As they had been told. Remember, it was the angel who told them to do this. This phrase, the author wants to make it clear that the apostles were doing what they had been commanded to do, not something that they wanted to do, not something that was their idea from the start. I mean, they would have known better. They know what to do and where to go after a jailbreak. But as they had been told, they went to the temple courts and began to teach. See, but the apostles knew that the religious leaders were jealous of them and angry with them. They knew that these religious leaders were threatened by them in this movement, and they were looking for a way to put a stop to this movement. I mean, this was their second stint in the public jail, and these, these apostles knew that persecution and beatings were coming their way. In fact, if you, if you cheated and kind of read ahead a little bit in verse 33, you'd find out that the religious leaders were so furious with the apostles that they want to put them to death. They relent and end up just just flogging them. The apostles know this. So instead of doing what made sense to them, which would be to lay low, be quiet, stay out of view, the apostles instead listened to God's messenger, this angel, and they did exactly as commanded them. Remember, they were told to stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. So as they were told, the disciples did exactly as the angel had commanded. They decided to listen to God and obey Him even when it didn't make sense, even when it did not sync with their own experience and their own thinking. See, the, the apostles decided to defer to an authority greater than themselves, greater than their own thinking, greater than their own experience. See, they recognize that there's a principle here in play. A principle about who they're going to listen to, especially when it doesn't jive with their own common sense, their own thinking, their own experience. 
The principle they defer to, they ascribe to, is this. The one who sets you free, you got to listen to him. You have to obey him. You have to do whatever he tells you to do, the one who sets you free. See, the one who, who frees you, you need to defer to him as the authority. The authority that's greater than your experience and greater than your thinking. You need to listen to him, to the one who, who sets you free. See, they chose to listen and obey God, who through his representative, Angel, set his disciples free so that they could go tell the message of what Jesus was all about. Go tell the full message of this new life. And I've got to tell you, friends, that this principle is as relevant this morning as it was for some first century apostles. The one who sets you free, you need to listen to him. You need to obey him, especially when it doesn't sync with your own thinking. You need to do whatever he tells you to do. In Isaiah 61, Scripture tells us that the Messiah... The Messiah's mission was to to proclaim freedom for the captives and release for the prisoners. And Jesus, over and over, boldly stated that His purpose was to set you and me free from the chains of our own sin. To release us from the prison of our own foolish pride. His sacrificial death on the cross purchased our redemption and released us from the shackles of our own sin, of our own shame. See, the core truth of the Gospel is that Jesus has set us free. It's by the cross that we're free. He has made us free men. Middle of the night, free people. It's the truth we're going to celebrate in just a few moments through the Lord's Supper. That we're free because of Jesus. We're free because of the cross. We're free because of His sacrifice. So the question for you and me this morning is this. Who are you going to listen to? Will you listen to and obey the one who set you free? Or will you rely on your own experience and your own thinking? I've got to tell you this because Jesus has a lot to say to his followers about faith and relationships and priorities and values, you know, important stuff. And often he asks us to do and And he asks us to live in a certain way that does not align with our own thinking. It does not make sense some of the time. You know, Jesus is the one who asks us to put God first in everything. And he says, trust him to take care of everything else, to take care of all your needs. It's Jesus who tells us that to be the greatest, you need to become the least, the servant of all. He says, I want you to aspire to be great, but it's by becoming the least, by becoming the servant of everyone. That's how you do it. Jesus tells us to turn the other cheek when offended, not get even. He tells us to forgive others. He says, forgive from your heart. And not seven times, but 70 times seven. He commands us to love our enemies. Love them. Who is this guy? Love your enemies? He's the one who set us free. He says to pray for those who persecute you. Pray for them. He commands us to to put others first, ahead of ourselves. He says, "Just, just treat them like they're better than you. 
Jesus tells us we need to develop a faith. But he says, not the faith of a theologian, the faith of a child. He says, I want you to believe God for the impossible. I want you to have faith. He tells us to give our lives away for the sake of the kingdom. He actually says those who give their lives away, who lose their life, they'll find it and save it. He says those who sacrifice their love, their lives for God will be richly rewarded by Jesus' Father in heaven. And he tells us to let our light shine. He says, go tell people the full message of this new life because you're my ambassadors. You're my witnesses both here and across the globe. So the question for you and me this morning is who are you going to listen to? Yourself? Or do you defer to an authority greater than yourself? You and I have a decision to make because it affects everything. It affects everything about our future, who you listen to. So I'll remind you of a principle that just might help you decide who you need to listen to. It's this. The one who sets you free, you listen to him. You obey him. You do whatever he tells you to do.